So welcome to The Journey. Um, I'm Kevin Polke. I'm the host of The Journey. And uh, Will, um, Will Cranfield, thank you for uh, joining us today. Crandall. Crandall. I'm sorry. Um, you want to start over? Yeah, no, that's okay. That's, that's <laughs> okay. okay. That's okay. Well, I had, a, I had a guest one time that I was calling. His first name was Len, and um, I was calling him by a famous football player that played for the Kansas City Chiefs okay. and was in the in the first Super Bowl. And so when we were at one of our events, um, uh, I was calling him Len, uh, Len Hardy when his actual name was Len Dawson. Or, no, the other way around. His, his, I was calling him Len Dawson, and his actual name was Len Hardy. And, um, and then when I told him who, who, I, who I kept on thinking yeah. he was, he yeah. was like, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, anyways, Will, thank you very much for coming on to the journey today. Thank you for um, inviting me here. Yeah. So this, uh, this is just about uh, a conversation about transformation. And I, I've been trying to uh, invite individuals that I know that um, have their own interesting story of, of transformation and in their own journey of life. And, um, and I know we've met a few months ago uh, with a particular project that we'll get into. And, um, but I just wanted to have you come on and tell us a little bit about your story. And Well, maybe we could start there. Uh, we met um, because you had came back to a resurgence of skateboarding. Right, yeah. And, um, and you used to skateboard as a, as a young person, and then you took a little bit of a break from Of that. a detour, yeah, I suppose yeah, you could yeah. call, yeah. And, um, and now have kind of come back. Um, and utilizing uh, skating and um, the whole idea of that um, regarding um, part of your life. So, sure. so tell us a little bit about that. So a few months ago, um, I, I'm involved with an organization that um, uses skateboarding, art, and music to um, reach out and engage and connect with younger people and give them opportunities to um, uh, have a safe place to... Uh, grow up and, and learn and, and live and um, so so out in the Rockford area I reached out to somebody to uh, to put on an event that included art music and skateboarding okay. uh, I reached out to a friend of mine uh, who put me and gave me your name yeah. uh, to get involved with uh, the shatter our silence um, uh, organization and uh, I reached out and uh, you jumped on board real quick sure, yeah. which was awesome um, but yeah uh, using the the kind of I don't know alternative lifestyle um, unconventional sports music skateboarding stuff um, and the lessons that can be taught through that mm-hmm. um, are, are valuable right and and the people involved in that lifestyle are often um, still uh, kind of marginalized. Right. So to to give them a platform and a, mm-hmm. and a place to be um, is something that I am really passionate about. Sure. Sure. And I know that you had an event, uh, the first one in Rockford that, that you were involved with was mm-hmm. um, the first Saturday in January um, yep. of, of 2000, uh, 2019. And um, we happened to be there, and you had asked me to not only have a booth and but also to speak. And um, I know that for the, for the hours that we were there, uh, four or five hours that we were there, it was um, really well attended. Um, it, seemed to, it seemed to go really well during the, the skating competition. And... Um, 
the art show seemed to be pretty yeah. uh, pretty amazing. Quite a few people were there. So any estimate of how many people were there that day? So there was one picture um, that somebody took, and I, it probably had to be around the height of, you know, I think uh, early evening was when there was the most people there, and I went through and just kind of counted. There was um, like 250 people in okay. that picture. Okay. Um, and then from the beginning when we started, what time did we start? Four o'clock or Four o'clock, yeah. So when we started at four until we ended at the end of the night, 11, 11 o'clock, there was, best I could tell, never less than 100 or, you know, right. 100 people there. So throughout the day, 500 people, sure. I would say, maybe. Yeah. Easy. Which is, a, which is in itself, first time event, mm-hmm. um, downtown Rockford in a, in a warehouse. Right? Yeah, Essentially. cold. Cold, <laughs> yeah. It was, like I said, the first, that first Saturday in January, it was, it was maybe not as cold as it's been the last couple no, of weeks. No, we, yeah, we, we got lucky that day. It was, yeah. what, 45, 50 yeah, degrees? during the yeah. day it wasn't it was too beautiful. Bad. Yeah, Perfect. but um, uh, but a lot of artists that were there, a lot of local artists there, a lot of uh, uh, pretty cool vendors um, mm-hmm. with reaching out with a lot of different things, and and the skateboarding was there were some pretty pretty good yeah, uh, yeah. pretty good skaters that were there. Yeah, I was really really thrilled with how that event went. It was um, you know, it was a, a really really fun day, okay. really really good time. Good and time. the response afterwards has been. Um, really uh, enjoyable for me i've had people okay. reach out and say you know um well, i came for the skateboarding and what was going on with the substance abuse stuff mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what 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 was that about mm-hmm. and it's given me an opportunity to like to uh, help some people sure which has been it was really what it was about. Yeah. So to see that happen was, uh, you know, even if it was just a couple people, yeah. I, I felt like it was successful. So, so the event was, uh, yes, it had to do with skateboarding. It had to do with art of all types, um, but specifically, um, uh, you know, uh, still art, you know, paintings mm-hmm. and different things like that. And then it also had music, but it was really about raising awareness about mental health, about depression, about substance abuse, about suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so tell us, tell tell me, tell the audience a little bit about how did you, how did you get involved with this becoming uh, something that you wanted to raise some awareness around, and what's what's a little bit about that story? Well, um, that. I've been personally affected uh, with substance abuse myself. Okay. Um, you know, I, I battled with it for, uh, not, I, I suppose you could say I'm still battling, uh, but um, in the depths of, of active addiction for, you know, almost 10 years. Okay. And um, finally, uh, I, I don't want to say overcoming, uh, but finally getting to the other side of that and getting to a place where, um, a a better place where I'm at today, I am forever grateful for the position that I'm in. And, and I take every opportunity I can to find places to give back and, and maybe prevent, um, some other people from going down the road that I went down. Okay. Okay. So, So you, if I understood what you're saying, so there was a time period where you identify being actively in addiction for 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Roughly. Now, yeah. is that when, do you consider that when you started or is that just when the, you were at the height of, of the addiction? Uh, the better part of that was, uh, you know, but pretty, uh, pretty desperate. 
Okay. Uh, pretty far down into the depths of addiction. Okay. Um, pretty much from the time of uh, early 20s until okay. almost the end of my 20s. It was... Uh, okay. Things got pretty dicey there. Okay. And okay. Uh, to, to have made it out of that is... Uh, is a miracle. Okay. Okay. And you have been sober now for how long? Um, coming up on seven years. Oh, well, congratulations. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Congratulations. You. So, so, so again, just kind of following where you were going is that, so you were, had not started using alcohol or drugs until your early twenties. No, 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 no. Uh, addiction goes, goes way back. Okay. Um, okay. you know, pretty, pretty much the earliest, uh, some of the earliest memories that I have are are rooted okay. in, with addiction in okay. it, and um, you know I think just stealing liquor from uh, the neighbor's uh, you know cabinet uh, seven eight years old, okay. um, and then uh, progressing from there. Okay, so when you so you differentiate between use. And experimenting in use, and you know what a seven and or seven year old does, even though that seems pretty young. But sure, having been an addiction counselor for yeah. for almost thirty years now, um, that isn't the first time I've heard that. Um, so, but you define use versus addiction. So what what do you mean by addiction? How do you define addiction? Well, I, I don't know, know if I do. I don't know if I was clear on that, okay. uh, or if it was. Um, so the definition of uh, the way that I define addiction mm-hmm. is there's this thing inside of me, mm-hmm. this uh, this this feeling inside of me that something outside of myself is going to fill that mm-hmm. that hole. Sure. So it could be early on it was um, food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be um, drugs. Okay. It could be uh, gambling. It could be shopping. Okay. All, all types of things. So so there's something inside of me. That goes, that's the, whatever that is, whatever my, my obsession is about, um, is going to make me feel whole inside. Okay. And that goes back way back to, okay. to when I was a, a kid. Okay. Um, I remember um, wanting validation from, from other people early on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, ultimately, it, it stems through through the work that I've done in recovery. It goes all the way back to you know, issues that I had with my father. Okay, okay. And um, so, so, well, let me ask. Let me ask that. So, mom and dad married. Mom and dad divorced. Well, how? What was the scenario? With that? And are you from around here? I, I didn't even ask that. So yeah, I grew up in Woodstock, okay. Illinois. Okay. Uh, it's about I don't know forty five minutes sure. east of here. Okay. Small little town. Yeah. It was a. Uh, Great place to grow up. Okay. Um, my parents were married um, when I was uh, young. My father struggled with addiction. Okay. Um, various forms. Okay. And, um, you know, I didn't have a, a terrible childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, things weren't... Um, I've, I've certainly heard worse situations and worse stories and... Um, looking back on it, it's not, 
overly uh, traumatizing. Mm-hmm. But what I do remember is um, that my father struggled with addiction, and mm-hmm. and I re- uh, just a, a quick example and a quick story. I remember being I couldn't have been more than six, five or six, and my father telling me uh, that he's going to come home after work okay. and spend time with me. Sure, yeah. and. Um, I would sit and watch and wait for him to come home. You know, the, it was time the time for him to get off and mm-hmm. about 15 minutes to drive home, and then he wouldn't come home. Mm-hmm. And I would sit and and I would have this feeling of um, of wanting him to be to be there and mm-hmm. feeling abandoned. Right. And um, then we'd have dinner. Finally, my mom. You know, we'd have dinner and uh, put put us to bed. And then I'd wake up uh, to my parents arguing at two o'clock in the morning mm. when the bars got out, and he'd okay. come home, and you know my parents would fight, and, and sure. uh, you know ultimately my uh, by the time I was eight, my my mom was yeah, done mm. with that, so they mm. got a divorce, and my father moved away um, about twenty minutes away, mm-hmm. but I I never saw him. Okay. Uh, he. He made the decision um, to to continue the destructive, crazy lifestyle that he that addiction involves, mm, okay. as opposed to being a father. Sure. Okay. You know, it's it's interesting when you talked about. I remember when I first started doing addiction work in the early nineties. Um, and listening to um, addicts when I was running an intensive outpatient group, and I'm trying to understand, you know, when when it came to real time of counseling, not necessarily what college was uh, supposed to teach us and right. you know, all that, mm-hmm. all the, the training and what. textbook stuff, exactly. Yeah. But li- but literally listening to their stories, and one of the things that I realized <clears throat> that a common thing that was going on was that there was this what you use the words a hole in their soul right and it didn't matter if it was weed it didn't matter if it was alcohol or heroin or cocaine or gambling or sex or relationships it was that they were looking for something from the outside mm-hmm. to fill the hole on the inside right and I know in my own life there would be times when I tried to do that in some kind of physical way, either through sports or bodybuilding or whatever it was, and or I try to do it by if I get one more, you know, one more degree, one more license, one this next job, this next promotion, or if it was relational, like it isn't, right? Or I even tried it um, if I become super, super good and super religious, then then that would do it, right? And, right, and because. Uh, there was this uh, guilt all the time, and in no matter what, there was this imbalance that happened in each one of those what I refer to quadrants or or areas. Mm-hmm. And um, because the hole was on the inside, yeah. it can't be filled from the outside. Right. And um, and then when you talked about with your dad, maybe with your parents, both of them, but maybe it wasn't about as much what did happen it was what didn't happen sure absolutely you know that idea that he didn't come home Mm -hmm. and the idea of that time you were longing for was a different type of wound than you hear sometimes you hear these horrific stories of physical abuse or yeah 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 yeah. and so um i think the idea of when something doesn't happen that we individually need 
um, in our own development, mm-hmm. then there becomes this vacancy that we end up trying to fill ourselves. Right. Sure. So. And you know, uh, through all the work that I've done since I've I've gotten into recovery, um, I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. And it developed into this never-ending um, search to fill that. Mm-hmm. Um, using started off fun Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) you know uh, in high school it was uh just what we did Mm -hmm. um i never really got into uh, the typical path i suppose of um uh, it wasn't that i couldn't do well at school it just i it was not a priority to Mm -hmm. me um i and looking back on it i wish i had seen the value in it and Mm -hmm. taken advantage of it you know but Um, and, uh, sports, I never, the, the typical sports I never really got into. It Mm -hmm. was, um, so I had this group of friends that, um, we were all kind of like-minded, uh, you know, we, we all like to party. We all like to Mm -hmm. skateboard and, and, um, go out and cause trouble on the weekends and, um, to a degree, I think some of it was normal, mm-hmm. uh, normal kid stuff. Sure. Um, but it v- bordered on dangerous, sure. you know, things that looking back on it, it's certainly things that I wouldn't want my son to go through, you right. know, things, positions that, that I wouldn't want my kid to be in. So, mm-hmm. um, and I was always the one who kind of pushed it there. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I was the one who kind of always wanted to keep pushing things further mm-hmm. so so when high school got over i graduated barely by the skin of my teeth okay. um and when when my friends were going off to high school or to college or um getting jobs or you know i kind of was still in the spot of of searching right and um addiction progressed it was always more it was always the next thing until ultimately i found um, what i thought i was looking for um which uh, was heroin um and i found myself in a spot where it was like doing more doing it was like okay well we'll just get some for the weekend just Mm -hmm. just for friday night and then uh, well while we're here because Back then, it you know, uh, it seems now like it's a, a huge epidemic. It's a huge mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Back then, it wasn't necessarily that way. This was 2002 or so. Okay. Um, and uh, so so we had to go out of our way to search for it, to, mm-hmm. to get it. You know, we had to drive an hour into the city. and mm-hmm. um, So we would pick up a little bit and then... Uh, a little bit more well maybe some for for Wednesday mm-hmm. during the week and then you know that type of thing and it progressed worse and worse and worse until I was doing it every day do you think I mean just thinking about that mm-hmm. what was the rest- I mean, because if you had to drive an hour hour and a half mm-hmm. to, to pick up in this case the heroin do you did you um, were you was the restriction you guys were restricting yourself was mm-hmm. that because of of money of of some way of trying to self-monitor and fear 
Um, well, not, yeah, it was definitely that. Okay. You know, it was like I knew that I shouldn't be doing this. Okay. You know, okay. Um, nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, well, I'm going to do some heroin today. I, I don't think anyways. Right. I, I certainly didn't. Yeah. Um, well, what I mean by that, well, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm obviously there's something different, but if I'm, if I'm going to drive into, you know, let's say Trader Joe's mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to drive in there and, and I know that I'm going to make, you know, a, a monthly trip in there. Um, I'm going to make sure that I get enough that is right. Gonna, because I want a stockpile of it or, right. or whatever. So it starts off, you know, it starts off uh, with me. It started off self-monitoring. Okay. Like I'm only going to get this much because I, I know how dangerous this is. And I know where, you know, uh, I've heard where it can end up. And, and that then it turned into, well, we need to get as much as we can, mm. you know, because eventually you start waking up and and you need it to get out of bed you mm-hmm. need it to um to function you need it mm-hmm. to go to work and and without it you start getting sick and it and it feels terrible mm-hmm. and um it, eventually it was we couldn't get enough mm-hmm. there it just <laughs> you know so then you're using just to not feel sick that's right yeah, yeah. i mean eventually by the end of the day eventually you would you know be high or, or enough to to fall asleep um but yeah it was a maintenance thing mm-hmm. after after that from that point on it was maintenance sure you know it was like i couldn't um couldn't do anything without mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and uh i never would have thought as a kid that i would be in this situation Okay. It got me to do things that I never would have thought that I would do. Okay. Let me. I want to ask you something about going back to childhood. And again, what, when I, as an, a counselor, as a, as a person, I realize that there's multiple characters in our story, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't. I don't believe there's any benefit in us identifying someone as the villain. Okay. Or demonizing them, right? Now we have we may have individuals in our life who may be that person that pushes us, you know, one way or another, and that's and it's beneficial for us to understand that part of it. Mm-hmm. But to demonize someone as the bad guy in the story and then think that it just ends there, I think that is. Um, that's just bad therapy. That's just bad counseling. Sure. <laughs> you know, this, it, yeah. and it, it isn't rare. It is just not very productive. And so, but I think there are things that happen in our life where we then make decisions because of events that happen, and they have to do with people. Mm-hmm. So, how many times, if you if you were going to guess, was that a one time event that you waited for dad to come home and he didn't come home, or was that? Was there maybe more? You know, it's um, other events like that. I, I there was certainly th- there's one in particular where I can like put myself there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I really I have a large part of memories blocked off. Okay. To where I don't I prior to my parents getting a divorce and prior to my father leaving i don't really have too many clear memories and i mean i was seven six sure, seven yeah. years old i mean absolutely i don't know what's normal and what's yeah. not to remember from sure. then but like um it was it was pretty regular yeah. i mean even after um 
you know, after he they got divorced, when he would have visitation or whatever, he'd show up and, you know, there'd be beer cans in the car and uh-huh. well, you're not going with him. Yeah, you know, you're sure. not you're not getting in that car. Sure. You know, yeah. and and I, so so there was there was a, a few memories sure. and and I use that as an excuse to use for a long time. Okay. So, the, and I guess that's kind of, I mean, obviously the event that when dad, you wanted dad to come home so you guys could play or hang out or whatever. And then, and, and that night gets crystallized because you get woken up at two o'clock in the morning because they're arguing mm-hmm. and then the, all the fear of that. So it makes sense that that would be a crystallized moment yeah. of, of remembering. I'm, I'm wondering, like, like you just said that this idea that you, um, I used that for a long time to continue using. I wonder how much that also played in. So our our parents, our dads, whoever they play this role as like authority figures. Mm-hmm. And if there's this element of rejection, right? You know, other things are more important or a priority over us. So then, does that carry over into the classroom? Does that carry over into playing traditional sports where there would be these individuals who are these authority figures, coaches, principals, teachers, instructors that were like, "No, man, I'm out. I'm not. I'm not putting my energy into this." Because they could, they could see that, or they. I don't know if they could see it, but could you see that? in them of the risk of them rejecting you sure so um i mean it wasn't just uh discipline it was something that that i lacked for sure okay um that was one of the uh a major um developmental uh tools that i lacked okay my father not being there and then you know my mom tried to compensate for everything by not wanting to discipline me oh, and okay. wanted to be more of a friend okay. than a, a parent. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So she saw the pain in your face because of, of the situation with dad and mm-hmm. then she didn't want to say no because then you'd, that would be a way of trying to, her to avoid you being disappointed as well. Right. I got you. Okay. So it was a combination of different things. And so then the idea of, of course, in the classroom and in traditional sports, sports teams and things Mm -hmm. like that, there's going to be someone who's going to be that mentor, that gatekeeper, that person who's going to demand, expect this level of self-discipline, follow through. Right. And then, but these alternative lifestyle, meaning like skating. It was individual. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Sure, but yeah. you. But how how many hours would you say a week did you practice skating? Back um, back when you were. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I I was sixteen, and um, I broke my arm pretty bad. Okay. So so that sidelined me from skateboarding. Um, uh, that's a whole other avenue we can go down. Um, but. I mean, you know, my friends would wake up on a weekend on Saturday. We, my friends, would be at my house, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, and we'd jump on our skateboards and we'd be gone all day, all night, you know, just, just out skateboarding. Sure. Um, and then after school, you know, I'd I'd have ramps or, or uh, different obstacles that we could skate at my house, and um, 
you know, instead of doing the the things that required a, a discipline from a teacher, or a coach, or you know, we would be out doing that. Sure. So, so I think I guess the I guess the reason why I bring that up is that that um, you know, you guys were motivated to do to get up. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily motivated to get up early to go to school but right. but motivated to, to go out and skate you guys skated you had physical exercise you were you were doing things you were practicing you know tricks and i don't know much about skateboarding but it seems like there's a whole lot more falling than there you know in the process yeah, yeah there is yeah. And, and that just seems to be a normal part mm-hmm. of the process so so tell me a little bit about as a skateboarder and this is before you had that major break in your arm mm-hmm. but as a skateboarder this idea that when you're skating, failing is part of the process of becoming better. Sure. So talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, like you just said, a, a lot of it is falling. A lot of it is um, that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it actually ties into um, when I got injured, when I hurt my, when I broke my arm. Because um, if you are skateboarding and you do not believe that you can achieve what you're trying to do, you're going to get hurt. Um, you got to have confidence in yourself that you can do. It's all that. It's all about commitment. It's all about confidence. Um, and when I broke my arm, it took that away uh, because I was doing something that I I believed in and I had confidence that I was going to be able to do a trick. Yeah. Yeah. And I got. Uh, some severe consequences my you know it wasn't a compound fracture but my arm was you know surgery plates pins all that Mm -hmm. stuff and when I got back on my skateboard um that commitment that I needed the confidence that I needed to do tricks was gone Mm -hmm. and um it still hasn't you know it, it never came back um but um the the life lessons that it can teach is that you know that you're going to fail you're you're not going to be successful every time you have to practice mm-hmm. and you have to have the discipline to practice mm-hmm. and if you do things correctly if you do things the right way you can achieve you know the landing the trick sure um so so it all kind of ties together with uh you know, with my break, with uh, my injury, mm-hmm. and you know, looking back on it too, um, that was really my introduction to opiates as well. Um, tell, tell, <laughs> tell us about that. I'm guessing they were prescribed by the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I remember sitting. Uh, this is a, a really interesting memory. Um, sitting in the emergency room with my arm crooked, um, and them saying like well do you want uh, pain medication and I was such an addict before that that I didn't want to say yes because I wanted them to give me more does that make sense yeah well tell me yeah I I think I understand but keep going so I I felt like if I said yes I want some Uh, that they were anxious yeah they go oh whoa 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 you know So I'm sitting there with my arm crooked, and uh, they go, "Do you want pain medication?" And I was like, "No, no, I'm I'm okay." I was in shock, um, but ultimately the shock started to wear off, 
And I was like, yeah, give me, give me some pain medication. Mm-hmm. I, I think actually my mom said, give this kid some pain medication. And um, as soon as it, you know, they gave me the good stuff, I was like, oh. So this is what they're talking there about. There it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then, yeah, I, I, I had surgery and I was prescribed, you know, strong painkillers for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, that really started the, um, the, the cycle. So for you, in your experience, even though obviously, the, you know, the shock was wearing off and you were in some severe pain because <laughs> of the break, you experienced how it was affecting your mind yeah. in your head. As well, of course, uh, as it affects you mean your the body. drug, the drug when yeah. they when they gave yeah. it to me. Oh you, yeah, yeah. You you were capturing on the the euphoria, the euphoria of to... the of not just that the, you were relieved of this physical pain, right? Which of course was probably part of it, but you also very much attached yourself to the psychological and the and the and the dopamine rush sure. that was happening because I knew what it was. You mm-hmm. know, I knew that they were going to give me some strong mm-hmm. drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay, but now you tasted it, right? And it's hard not to untaste something that mm-hmm. you taste, right? Okay, and it started, yeah, started from there. Okay, and and so then talk a little bit about as you're healing and recovering from that. Um, how long did that take? How long was your the? Did you do rehab? Did you? Um, a little bit, you know. I was young. Fortunately, when you're 16, your your body heals pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I was back on a skateboard uh, within a couple weeks. Okay. I, I had a giant cast on. And sure. Even before surgery, I think I was back skateboarding or you okay. know on a skateboard. Um, I didn't really have too many side effects from that. Um, I broke my arm again, the same arm in a different spot at my elbow um, about a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like I spent these two years like in a cast and, and on pain medication and like, um, but I, I don't really have too many lasting physical, mm-hmm. you know, every now and then I'll bump my, there's a metal plate in there, I'll bump it and it'll, mm-hmm. you know, I'll feel it. Tingle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. um, so, so what um, you said, to, but you did talk about that it impacted your confidence. Yes. When it came to skating, not obviously just being on the board, but to doing certain certain tricks. Mm-hmm. I you know, so all your friends, it sounds like a, a big part of your mm-hmm. support group and your friends are skaters. Yeah. And so of course to not be skating is to not be with them. Right. You know, they're only going to come over and hang out in, in your living room for so long, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, we were all really, really tight, and, and they would have been there whether or not we were skateboarding. Um, mm-hmm. I was, you know, we were we were part of the, the crew or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. But um, it was definitely, uh, um, it definitely separated me from the group mm-hmm. um, for a while. Um, and it, skateboarding has never been the same for me. Um, now, once I got into addiction and, and, and things got really bad, skateboarding just fell off completely. I didn't, sure. didn't have time for that. Um, right. but, um, you know, I, it was just never the same mm-hmm. to have that, that commitment that it takes to, um, it's just never been there again. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like there was uh, 
with that bad break in the the fall that occurred, that there was a that it, it took a, a fierceness, uh, uh, that that a boldness that yeah. that came when you would do certain things, and we we call it courage, right? But the reality is is that it may not be courage until we have the fear of falling, right? And and then we continue to pursue it anyways until that fear dissipates right or, or at least gets contained right um, and so you know it's kind of like oh yeah the first time I went off the cliff I was you know I wasn't courageous I didn't know how far down it was right yeah <laughs> the second time I did it uh-huh. took a lot of courage to go down the second time yeah right? um, so uh, tell me a little bit as we're, we're kind of fast forward in a little bit sure. about you know, how do you think you know that idea of the of the essence of what skateboarding can can do? This idea of um, it's it's an alternative lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? Alternative sport, which then can be an alternative lifestyle. Um, it's something that um, it's not just physical, but it's also psychological and mm-hmm. and and even has some spiritual components from a standpoint of uh, of being one having a, having a oneness in yeah. the, and being in that flow talk about how that maybe it did maybe it didn't help you in recovery and help you now that you do life um that you're now doing life uh drug drug and alcohol free so talk a little bit about about that or if so i guess i you know i uh, skateboarding had taken such a back seat for me for so long mm-hmm. that once I got into recovery, it was years before I really got back into skateboarding. Okay. Um, I mean, it, there was probably, it wasn't until really, I mean, this year was the most that I've been back on a skateboard. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I guess I'm still learning how that will okay. evolve. Okay. Um, but I, I completely uh, agree that um, there is an aspect to that that mm-hmm. they can um, relate. Yeah. Well, I just th- I was just thinking, uh, you know, having been around, um, uh, you know, wor- working as an addiction counselor, understanding some of the terms and the concepts of, of recovery, but understanding the counseling transformation process, is that you know we can. We can be sober, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sober from our drug of choice or, or mood-altering chemicals or activity um, activities that lead to that dopamine rush right. that we talked about. And we can be clean, of, or, or um, that could be arrested. We don't, we aren't participating in that activity or that substance anymore. Mm-hmm. But our thinking may not change, right? And and then in that process of of Learning, you know, so it's like I'm thinking, and I could be wrong about this because I'm not a skateboarder, but the way that you were describing this idea that at some point you have to believe that you're going to land the trick mm-hmm. versus that you believe you're going to fall. Right. And so you have to believe that you are, are preparing tonight, this weekend, to be sober versus, well, I don't have any plans, and then you find yourself accidentally relapsing. Sure. Or the idea that I'm. Uh, I'm 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 still hanging on to something, and I haven't surrendered um, whatever it is because I don't want to address it. In, in right, and and there's this element that I guess that in recovery, you know, slipping backwards, right, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go back to opioids. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to go back to using, but we can slip back in our thinking. Mm-hmm. 
doesn't necessarily mean all is lost. Right. So, so tell me, and actually maybe it's an opportunity to learn something. So, uh, you know, one thing uh, when you were just talking, it, it got me to think of how it, how it relates. And um, a really interesting aspect of it is when you believe that you're going to land a trick, when you are in that, um, it is in the moment. Skateboarding is in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be in the moment. And, you know, I play music. I play drums, too. Um, and to do that, you are in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is how it can relate to recovery. Sure. Um, if you are worried about the future, um, if you are stuck on the past, if you're stuck on things that happened in the past, um, you know, it all comes back to this idea that, that uh, it's a just for today. Sure. You know, it's, yeah. it's right now. Right. Um, and... Uh, that was something that was really important for me to um, to accept and understand mm-hmm. um, to be successful in recovery mm-hmm. was how to to learn how to live in the moment and mm-hmm. to be okay in the moment mm-hmm. in myself mm-hmm. and um, that was uh, you know that that's certainly something that relates to skateboarding. So, so yeah, what, what would be for you? And obviously, skateboarding had um, had not necessarily come to fruition in you know in the first you know you've been sober for almost seven years now, mm-hmm. and skateboarding just started in the past year. What were what were some of those things early on in in recovery that helped you move from this life mm-hmm. of chasing after this mm-hmm. this alternate feeling, right? Um, and and now you, you're you're that's not really an option. I mean, it is an option, but you're choosing it to not be. What was some of those initial things that allowed you to start stringing some, some days together? So I was thinking about this on the way over here and, um, it's, there's very few things that I attribute to a miracle. I like to understand things and I like to believe that, um, you know, everything happened, you know, this happens because of this. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that, that, what you just talked about is one of the things that, that I can use that word and feel comfortable. Which word is that? Surrender? Miracle. Miracle. Okay. Okay. Um, there was, I, I don't, I, I, so when I was stuck in this cycle of addiction, mm-hmm. um, it was like, uh, I'd go to treatment, I'd get, uh, you know, maybe go to a halfway house or come back home or, and maybe I could stay clean for a week, two weeks. And, um, it was this like this, this cycle that I was in. And the last time that I got clean, I, I, it wasn't like I knew that there was, uh, a different part of the cycle coming, sure, you know, right, right. it was just, this is where I was in that cycle. And every step of the way, it wasn't like I had this moment where it was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to mm-hmm. use anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to try this recovery. It was just like one little thing after another. Mm-hmm. And, um, somewhere along the way, the desire to use was taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, the desire, uh, to get high was removed mm-hmm. and I don't know how that happened. Mm-hmm. 
I, I can't say, you know, like if I could, if I could figure out a way to give that to somebody else, mm-hmm. it, it would be, you know, a million dollar idea, mm-hmm. but I don't know how that happened. Mm-hmm. So I, it's one of the few instances where I have to say that was out of my control. That mm-hmm. was a higher power. That was a miracle. Mm-hmm. And, um, when that happened, when that desire was removed, um, some other things were happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was getting involved in a in a recovery fellowship. Mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, I got a sponsor and I started working the steps and 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 when that desire is removed, when the obsession of thinking about getting high twenty four hours a day all day is taken away. Like, surprisingly, you have some time to do other things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it opens up the world of possibilities mm-hmm. to, to and, and dreams, thoughts, hopes, aspirations all come back. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a combination of that being removed, the, the miracle of not having to obsess about getting high anymore, mm-hmm. and then the... Um, uh, subsidizing that with all the recovery stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you think if, if there was a way, and of course there's probably no way of ever doing this, but if there was a way that we went back and looked at the videotape of your life, right, mm-hmm. at that moment, right, when, when now, without knowing it, but it was now the beginning of almost seven years mm-hmm. of, of this part of the journey, but, when, but you didn't necessarily know that that was going to be the, the case. It could have right. just been another two or three week uh, right. deal. It, it, but if we look back in that videotape, there's probably certain things that we would see. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a, a greater propensity to um, uh, to surrendering, right? We, t- we use this word of surrendering because for a moment, instead of going left, which is you know, letting the thought fester, we go right. Right. And even if it's just for a moment, it's enough to start building on that path of surrendering versus feeling defeated and and beat up and shamed, which of course just is going to perpetuate um, wanting to use, right? Right. Because that was that old feeling. You know, I think of this idea of um, where sometimes I I, do, I believe for me do I believe that when I turn something over to God, as I understand Him, um, when I when I turn something over to God, as I understand Him, there's this element um, that when I truly do that and I do it without conditions, there's a release. Right. Right. But many times I turn something over to God, and there's expectation. It's like turning over. Okay, here's my list, Santa Claus. Here's my list of what I want for Christmas. And now there's an expectation of what's going to be sitting underneath the Christmas tree. And I think sometimes when we surrender and want God to remove something from us, right, that we then tie into it an expectation. And then when it pops, the thought of it pops back in going, it didn't work. Right. Versus when we let go and, and then it starts building a little bit more distance then we notice that we've let go and we're farther away from shore. Right. So um, some really interesting ideas and things that I thought of when you were talking about that were um, I was in a spot where um, 
I didn't have expectations because I didn't believe there could be expectations. I didn't know any other expectations. Mm -hmm. So it was easy for me to not have expectations this time around because it was like I was just doing the normal course. Mm -hmm. um, and then you talked about having that, that going left or going right. Um, mm -hmm. Prior to this, I didn't realize that there was a left and right. Mm -hmm. It was just like I went this way. You went left all the time. All the time. And one of the big things early on in recovery was that realization that there is another there yeah. is another path. Yeah. That I do have a choice. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the depths of addiction, when I'm there, I don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. I am powerless. Mm -hmm. I, I, I cannot control my behavior. I cannot control... Um, I've proven it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. However, when you take the drugs out and I start to think clearly and I start making better decisions um, and, and I recognize that there is a choice, suddenly I have the power back. Mm -hmm. Today, I, 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 I am not powerless over, uh, you know, I do have a choice. In addiction, I'm, I'm powerless. In recovery, I have the choice again. Sure. And yeah. it gives me power back. Right. And and realizing that early on mm -hmm. was huge for mm -hmm. me, because I always felt like I, I never had a choice. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm gonna and just for the sake that we started off talking about skating, it, it was this idea that early on, as a young person, you you weren't afraid of falling, mm -hmm. right? And and so you fell and you got back up and you tried again and you right. watched somebody else do something and you tried it again and and so you knew you had a choice. Right, you know that you could either stay down, mm -hmm. which really wasn't an option, or you could just get up and try again. Right. And and then somewhere along the line, that addiction lied to you and said that you only have a choice to do this, and you have no other choice. Right, and that was early on when you know the first time that I had some bad feelings and like you know maybe some physical dependency yeah. things where it was like, well, I. I have to do it. Yeah. You know, like I, 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 I have to do it to feel better. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was a really, a yeah. really important fork yeah. right there. Yeah. And that, and, and I think because of how addiction works from an end up is that I choose to do, I do something and that is what causes me to feel this way. And, and now I'm having withdrawals. And so I'm feeling bad. So then it's this silent shame secret right. and that we it, it, it just continues to lead to going right. left and going left right so as we get ready to kind of wrap up for today man we're, we're just getting yeah, started i know i know <laughs> <laughs> so but let me ask you just just from a combination of if two parts one if, if there was um one thing that you wanted people to know about either the journey of recovery, the journey that you have found yourself in. I mean, I know you, that you're married now, right? Yeah. And have a child. Yeah. Right? And that's a whole lot different place than, you know, when you were 24, 25, right? Um, yeah. And um, what would be one thing that you would want uh, people to know that, that may be struggling or maybe a significant other someone who's struggling? So... Um just that there's hope. Mm -hmm. um, I I came into uh, recovery uh, completely hopeless. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of people had written me off, and a lot of people had uh, given up, mm -hmm. and for good reason. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, I, I was doing a lot of bad things. Um, 
but uh, I, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier that when when you when I got into recovery and um, the obsession was taken away, um, it opened up the door for all the hopes and dreams uh, that I had as a child to to come back. Mm-hmm. And and I've learned some lessons in recovery that um, tie into some of the things we talked about, like um, not expecting results, mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe making some plans. And, and if I make plans for something and I do the best that I can, the results that come out of it are generally good. Mm-hmm. And um, that has led me down the path to um, to achieving things that I had given up on and mm-hmm. doing things that I that I never being in positions that I never thought that I would be in. Mm-hmm. Um, sitting here with you today, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, if you would have told me eight years ago that I, you know, somebody would want me to hear my story, mm-hmm. I would not have believed you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Um, an addict can recover anybody can um, stop using um, lose the desire to use and find a new way to live sure 100% of the time uh, yeah. that is possible for anybody yeah. um, and if it can happen for me uh, I, I I truly believe that it can happen for anybody else sure. and I want to um, help people get there before before it's too late. You yeah. know, there's it, it's it truly is an epidemic now. There's people yeah. dying yeah. Ev- every day. Yeah. Well, as as long as someone's breathing, right? There, sure. There's that there's that possibility that hope uh, that they can surrender right. and and let go and recognize that there is another path right. um, that they can they can go down that that to the right and go that journey instead right. of going to the left. You know, in, in the it, and I guess I want to wrap up with this piece. When I remember when you talked to me about the event um, back in early January, and and you said, well, if it helps just one person, if just one person shows up, right? right. And there was an element that day that even though I know you were nervous and you were concerned about it, there was an element going back to the whole skateboarding is that um, there was still going to be this confidence that you were going to land this, that mm-hmm. you knew that certain people were going to be there right? because you had done the hard work to ensure that they were going to be there. Now, right. how many people were going to be there along with that? We didn't, you didn't know, we didn't know what right. that was going to be like. But I think it's kind of like if you're doing that work and you're disciplining yourself, and, and even though there's setbacks, you get up and you learn from them. I think that's some of the lessons that you can learn from music, from art, from skateboarding, um, and, uh, and then have a platform like, you, like you're looking for to be able to bring that to the Rockford area uh, on a more consistent basis. The name of the organization, <clears throat> do you have a name for the organization? The organization that I'm working with to, to put yeah, that event? Yeah, yeah it was uh, the Warp Corps organization. It was... Um, the Woodstock Aggressive Riders Park was the Woodstock Skate Park, okay. um, and um, you know they they put these events on, and and I got involved and brought one to Rockford. Okay. Um, you know, right. talking about uh, uh, um, the the gifts that I've gotten um, from from recovery, um, being able to be a, a good husband and, mm-hmm. and a father, my son. Um, is is six and uh, 
he, uh, you know, I, he hopefully doesn't have to go through the things that I went through. Sure. And and had things happened the way that they, they, if they would happened, if I would have had my son a year earlier, I'm not sure things would have worked out the way that they they mm-hmm. they did. And um, through being a father, I've gotten some, and in recovery, I've gotten some perspective on what my father went through Mm -hmm. and found some peace with where he was and what he did and the decisions that he made because it could have been me. Yeah. Well, I think one of the the amazing things is that, uh, like you just spoke, uh, when we can have empathy um, and, and and have a, a clue of what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes, then we can have some grace and maybe some kindness toward uh, toward somebody. Right. And um, but that, but it's it's hard sometimes uh, unless we can be open to that empathy of walking in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard sometimes to let go and um, have that kindness. Well, we need to wrap up for today. Sure. Yeah. I really appreciate you being here and um, and being on uh, being on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, if if someone wanted to know more about um, Warp and about any events that you have coming on, coming up, what's the best way for them so, to... So um, WarpCore has a, uh, a Facebook page and a website, WarpCore.org. Um, okay. And uh, we are working on uh, getting some some other events together here in the Rockford area. Okay. Um, uh, Memorial Day, um, there's uh, a skateboarding event coming up uh, that we're planning right now. So okay. there's some more things. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, Will, again, thank you for being here thank and, you. and sharing your yeah. story. All right. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank All right. you. Yep.